0: Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. Today we approach again the ominous anniversary of the USS Liberty murders. The day the Jewish power structure's State of Israel openly slaughtered our American Navy men. Today they still slaughter our people in only slightly more covert ways. Gather your family, gather your friends, gather your co-workers. Have them listen to this program. Download, print and distribute our truth flyers. Visit natall.com/liberty That's N-A-T-A-L-L dot com slash liberty. You may never know what seeds you will sow, what people you will awaken, what tragedies you will prevent. Be more than a spectator. Be a participant in history. In 1997, the 30th anniversary of the Israeli attack on the USS Liberty, there was an effort by patriots to institute a national memorial to the Americans killed and maimed by the Jewish state. But the federal government said no. National vanguard writer and independent researcher David Sims tells us, quote, I was personally told that the custom was to recognize a significant event of this kind on the 50th anniversary, not the 30th, close quote. In the 50th anniversary year of the attack, President Trump made no fewer than three major speeches at Holocaust memorial events and declared the entire month of May to be Jewish American Heritage Month, but made no move to memorialize the Americans aboard the Liberty who were murdered by the Jewish state. Trump kowtowed to Jewish power and money at the so-called Wailing Wall, effectively rewarding the murderers of those American sailors and officers. The Wailing Wall pilgrimage is one that aspiring and sitting national leaders are apparently expected to make by the Jewish power structure. But one notes the curious silence of these leaders, of the media, and of the feminists, when confronted with the facts that access to the wall is sexually segregated, and that its very existence is based on Jewish racial supremacism. In 1991, Israeli knowledge that the Liberty was an American vessel was confirmed. Evidence released that year by the U.S. Embassy in Beirut included an intercepted radio conversation of an Israeli pilot who communicated with his base, quote, It's an American ship. and his headquarters ordered him to continue the attack. British reporter Anthony Pearson, in his book Conspiracy of Silence, reports that the Jew in command of the three Mirage jets that attacked the Liberty was born in Baltimore and served as a fighter pilot in Vietnam. The pilot of the second Israeli plane was also a Vietnam veteran, and had served in the U.S. Navy Air Corps. The third pilot was a native Israeli. It is rather disheartening to think that the American Armed Services had trained two fighter pilots who thought so little of the country of their birth that they joined the air force of another country and carried out a murderous air assault on an American ship. But such are the loyalties and nature of Jews. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Thomas Maurer, and Secretary of State Dean Rusk, stated publicly that Israel deliberately attacked the Liberty. Rusk stated in his memoirs, quote, "I was never satisfied with the Israeli explanation. I didn't believe them then, and I don't believe them to this day. The attack was outrageous, close quote. Nevertheless, the media downplayed the affair, which, had it been perpetrated by any other country than Israel, would have been a cause celeb and possible." Grounds for war. Survivor James Enns, Jr., who was on the Liberty that terrible day, recently stated The official lid on this story remains almost as tight as the day it was first applied. The attack on the Liberty remains the only maritime incident in U.S. history in which US military forces were killed and which was never investigated by the US Congress. The Navy Court of Inquiry, which in effect whitewashed the Israeli attack, was headed by Admiral Isaac Kidd, who just happens to be Jewish. Working under Kidd and aiding in the cover-up was Admiral John S. McCain the father of the consistent warmonger, Republican presidential candidate, and fanatically pro-Israel senator, John McCain. There's now evidence that suggests that the Jews' intentions in the Liberty tragedy were far more malicious, far more murderous, and far more evil than we or even the eyewitnesses to the attack ever imagined. This evidence strongly suggests that Israel and Lyndon Baines Johnson were on the verge of enveloping the world in nuclear warfare and the mass murder under utterly false pretenses of millions of innocents. According to the BBC documentary, Dead in the Water, the incident was a, quote, daring ploy by Israel to fake an Egyptian attack, close quote, to get America to enter the war against Egypt. The first wave of attacking Israeli planes had been repainted with Egyptian markings. Convinced the attack was coming from Egypt, or playing his part in the false flag, President Lyndon Johnson, according to the documentary, launched nuclear-armed planes targeted on Cairo from a U.S. aircraft carrier. The aircraft were recalled almost too late, only when it became clear that there would be survivors and numerous others well aware that Israel was responsible. These numerous others would, most significantly, be the men of the U.S. Sixth Fleet, who had heard the Liberty's distress calls and who were on their way to help, and secondarily anyone else, surely including the intelligence services of Russia and other nations, who would potentially have heard the transmissions that got through the Israeli jamming. The Jews had initially been confident that they had fully destroyed the antennas and radio room of the Liberty, thus rendering her incapable of communicating with anyone. And the Jews' subsequent actions clearly proved their intent was to murder everyone aboard, leaving no witnesses to call for help or tell the tale. If the BBC's investigators are right, then, the nuclear attack on Cairo was stopped. Only because a radio man aboard the Liberty risked almost certain death to string a wire between the masts of the ship to serve as a long wire antenna, and then managed to fix or rig up one of the vessel's auxiliary transmitters. That radio man's name is Richard Sturman. Another radio man, James Hallman, then transmitted a message that somehow made it to the fleet despite intense jamming from the Israelis. Peter Hoonan writes in Operation Cyanide, Liberty radio man Richard Sturman concluded that the attackers had carefully prepared for the attack with the specific intention of preventing the ship communicating with the outside world. To do so effectively, they must have had prior knowledge from shore-based receivers of the five frequencies being used by the ship, so that jamming gear could be tuned to them. Sturman recalled his anger when he discovered that the international distress frequency used for mayday messages Was also jammed. According to researcher Judy Morris, The astute crew, however, made a startling discovery. The Israeli jamming capabilities did not work when they were actually engaged in bombing, and the USS Liberty crew had windows of a few seconds of opportunity just before and during strikes to send out a message. Hunam writes, At first, the signalmen felt their task was hopeless. Plane after plane was swooping in on the ship, firing cannon, shooting missiles, and dropping napalm. Then someone spotted that there was a respite from the jamming, lasting just a few seconds, when the attacking planes fired their missiles. Hallman grabbed the opportunity and shouted into the mic, Any station! This is Rockstar! We are under attack by unidentified jet aircraft and require immediate assistance. On the USS Saratoga, call sign schematic, the radio man picked up the message, but it was garbled, possibly by further jamming. Rockstar, this is schematic, he said. Say again, you are garbled. Eventually the USS Liberty message was acknowledged and authenticated, Ten minutes after the attack began, the USS Saratoga confirmed Liberty's message with, Roger, Rockstar, authentication is correct. The message bounced everywhere and was even acknowledged by two U.S. embassies in the region. Furthermore, it was impossible for the Pentagon not to know of the Liberty's plight, as all messages are also automatically routed to the Pentagon and other government agencies. The Israelis must also have intercepted the radio message. The Liberty crew was relieved and believed that help was on the way. Wrong! Although fleet commanders quickly ordered rescue operations— Twice the rescue missions were ordered, called back, by Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara, a close friend and trusted associate of LBJ. In fact, it's documented that during one of the conversations between the 6th Fleet Commander and McNamara, LBJ, the President, got on the phone and roared, "'We will not embarrass an ally!' to reinforce McNamara's direct command from Johnson to not rescue the ailing USS Liberty and her crew. According to James Ennis, the entire attack lasted one hour and fifteen minutes, although some crew members believe it was longer. Unquestionably, the attack was sheer hell for those on board, The U.S.S. Liberty, and the agony was prolonged by the fact that airborne help from the Sixth Fleet never arrived as expected. Then something extraordinary happened. The Israelis stopped attacking, despite having more than enough firepower to finish the job of sinking the U.S.S. Liberty and her crew." It's been documented that the Israelis had commando helicopter crews hovering above the USS Liberty with a crew to finish the job. Clearly, the USS Liberty crew expected to die. But with the message out and everybody knowing about it, including the Russians who knew what was going on because they were close by in their own disguised spy ships as they intercepted the message, or possibly even observed the USS Liberty being attacked, the Israelis panicked, called off the attack, and never finished the job. Close quote. If Richard Sturman, may his name always be remembered by our people, had not had the courage to climb the upper reaches of the ship under direct enemy fire, all of his fellow crewmen would surely have been killed, and a disastrous nuclear war might have ensued. If James Hallman, may his name be engraved forever on our consciousness, and one day be engraved in a stone monument one thousand feet high, along with Sturman's and the names of the other heroes of the liberty. If James Hallman had not figured out, in nearly split-second time, countermeasures against the Israeli radio-jamming, the blood of every American on board would have stained the sea and quite possibly the incinerated corpses of millions of people Russians and Americans included would have lain lifeless upon the burned earth when Sturman and Hallman awoke on June 8, 1967, they had no idea of the importance their decisions and actions that day would hold, probably for centuries to come. You today are in a similar position. Who knows what effect you will have on history when you print and distribute our new USS Liberty Truth Campaign flyer in your community and promote our campaign online. The URL for the flyer is natall.com liberty. That's natall.com slash liberty. Will you bring awareness to a family, whose leading position could inspire tens of thousands of others to join us? Will the flyer you hand out fall into the hands of a wealthy man who will spread our message of truth to millions? Will your efforts reach a man or woman who will one day be in a position to make a decision that could prevent yet another war for Israel, possibly even worse than the wars in Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq, even worse than the Jewish treachery that got us into these never-ending wars, even worse than what the Jews were planning in 1967? Why be a spectator to history? You can be a participant.